1: Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 104. Instinct is very, very important, and we believe in it through every part of the process. When it's time to create and get that stuff down, we believe in our gut. Mark Duplass
0: broadcasting from the back alley in hollywood it's the indie film hustle podcast where we show you how to
1: survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz and here's your host alex ferrari welcome my indie film hustlers to another episode of the indie film hustle podcast i am your humble host alex ferrari now, today's show is sponsored by VideoBlocks. Now, VideoBlocks is a subscription based stock media company that gives you unlimited access to premium stock footage everyone could afford. If you're looking for like extra exterior shots or things that you might want to incorporate into any of your projects, whether that be a narrative, documentary, music videos, commercials, these guys got you covered. They've got unlimited daily downloads from a library of over 115,000. HD video clips, as well as a huge selection of After Effects templates for like opening credits, uh, motion graphics titles, company logos, as well as motion backgrounds as well. It's pretty amazing, and on average, uh, subscribers pay less than a dollar per download in a course of a year. And the content does not get stale, they're constantly adding new content to the library every month so it keeps it keeps it very very fresh and you always have something new to look forward to and everything you download is 100 percent royalty free even if your subscription is canceled you have unrestricted usage rights for anything you want to do including personal projects and commercial projects and you keep whatever you download and maintain the usage rights forever now, Videoblocks is offering The Tribe a yearly subscription for 99 bucks. That's 50 bucks off the usual price tag, just for you guys, just for The Tribe. That's less than 10 bucks a month. So to get this deal, just head over to Videoblocks.com slash hustle. That's Videoblocks, V-I-D-E-O, blocks, V-I-D-E-O blocks.com forward slash hustle. Hustle for this exclusive offer. And don't forget to go to freefilmbook.com. That's freefilmbook.com to download your free filmmaking audiobooks from Audible. So, guys, I wanted to let you know that we're at the beginning of the month. So, of course, uh, I have some new updates on the indie film syndicate. We have some new courses uh that are available. I want to let you guys know what we're doing. Uh, in the syndicate, we have two new courses by the Producers Foundry and one of the courses is called Building a Better Independent Film Budget with Debbie Brubaker. Uh, she's the UPM on Tim Burton's Big Eyes and Black, ja- uh, Blue Jasmine, and she's considered and known as San Francisco's godmother of indie film. And she talks for about 45 minutes uh, specifically about budgeting, how to build a budget, build a schedule. That's all included in the membership. And we also have another course added this month called how to Monetize Your Indie Film Project in a New Media Landscape. Uh, and this is just a great little course about how you monetize the different revenue streams that you can create in all these new outlets and things like that that are out there. Uh, and that's also included in the Membership of Indie Film Syndicate. So, if you guys want to check it out, I'm giving you guys a special 20% off your first month. Your first month in, it's only 17 bucks, but you'll get 20% off 17 bucks. So, if you guys want to come in, check things around, see how things are, uh, you know, take a couple courses, uh, and then join the Facebook group so you can see what we're doing there. Uh, all you got to do is go to indiefilmhustle.com forward slash 20 off. That's indiefilmhustle.com forward slash 2-0 off to get that 20% off. And we're going to be doing a lot of other cool things inside the syndicate, so definitely check it out. So guys, today on the show we have Alex Lehman. He is the director of the new movie called Blue Jay. And in the movie is uh, starring Mark Duplass and Sarah Paulson, the Emmy, uh, recently Emmy Award winning actress for uh, The People vs. OJ. And of course, the 800 pound gorilla in the Hollywood room, uh, Mark Duplass, who also wrote the project, and uh, invited Alex to direct it. And it was—I had the opportunity to watch an early screening of it, guys. And I'll be honest with you, I really, really love it. And I, you know, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I'm a really big fan of Mark Duplass and Jay Duplass, the Duplass Brothers in general. What they were able to do with Puffy Chair and what they've done for indie filmmakers in general. Uh, I'll also put in the show notes a link to. The must listen to South by Southwest keynote speech by Mark Duplass, which is absolutely amazing. So I was super excited to get Alex on the show, uh, not only to talk to him about Mark a little bit and and the process of working with him and how they put the whole the whole project together, but also his his um, his origin story how he got involved with the movie, they shot the movie in black and white, what camera they used, how many people were on the crew, what kind of script did they use because Mark doesn't usually work with a full-fledged script. They work with something called a scriptment, uh, which I go deep into with uh, with Alex on the show as well. So it's a really great show uh, to just kind of listen to how they shot a, a movie in seven days and is going to be released on the 8th in New York, October 8th in New York, and then I think, oh, the 7th or the 8th, or this Friday, uh, in New York, and then the 14th in L.A., and then soon after uh, on VOD Digital, and then eventually on Netflix, where it will live forever and ever. And this is the first movie of the four-picture deal that uh, the Duplass brothers signed with Netflix. So uh, I was really curious about what that movie would be. And now we know it is Blue Jay. So uh, definitely check the movie out, guys. But sit back and relax and, and get ready. As I always say, take some notes because uh, Alex laid down a, a bunch of knowledge bombs and I really hope you guys enjoy it. So without further ado, here's my interview with Alex Lehman. I'd like to welcome to the show Alex Lehman, man. Thanks for coming by, man.
2: Hey, man. Thanks for having me.
1: So um, I wanted to first off get to your origin story. How did you get into... The film business.
2: My high school had a really, really swanky TV studio, and I spent all of my free time there—like my free periods and my lunches—and I would stay after um, after school until the TV studio teacher would lock up, and he would drop me off at home. Actually, on the way home, probably, probably this day and age, it would be yes. not loud,
1: right? I was, back- I was about to say today, yeah. not happening.
2: But my, my house, you know, my house was on the way home and so he, he would just, you know, I'd stay to the T V studio till like five o'clock, five thirty every day. And I was like doing like a lot of like school news stuff, but like I'd take cameras out and make movies with my buddies and you know So and, you were yeah. an
1: A V nerd, basically.
2: I was totally an A V nerd. <laughs> yeah. It. Absolutely.
1: So so you got started with the being an A V nerd, then how did that translate into actually getting a job?
2: Um well, I, uh, I mean, I, I went to film school after, after high school mm-hmm. and that, that's when I realized like I, I wanted to do more film and less TV stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and funny enough, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to direct cause I'd, you know, I'd been doing everything. I've been editing and writing and, you know, I was just, you know, the one man band, you know, like we all are when we start off with, you know, our mom's camera or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then, uh, some of the other kids in school really liked the way my projects looked and they were like, Hey, how about uh, you come be the DP on my like $50,000 short film or whatever, which to me was like, I, you know, okay, that's, there's some fun toys there. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and I get to like, you know, do bigger stuff as still a film student, film student. And that's when I realized I can make a living at helping people on their sets, you know, by creating images and just kind of like, you know, sometimes, a little bit of handholding for first time directors that are like, Hey, I want you to be my DP, but also kind of, you know, if you can help me make my movie the way your movie turned out, that'd be great. <laughs> right. And so I found it as uh, you know, a way to make a living. I want, you know, I was kind of scared about coming out to LA and not being able to stay out here for more than six months. And, go back home with my tail tucked between my legs and my, my film degree and everything and not, not know what to do with the rest of my life. So I said, all right, cameras make me money. I'm going to keep learning about these cameras and keep using them and help people with their movies. So I did that for a long time.
1: Now, you um, what film school did you go to?
2: Emerson College in Boston. Lots of talented people coming out of there. Oh, very, very,
1: very, yeah. very cool. So then you went to so – you're an East Coast guy and then you came out here to L.A., To uh, go west, young man, as they say. Absolutely. And uh, so you've been working as a cameraman and a cinematographer for a while. Now, how did that prepare you to be a director?
2: Well, um, you know, I think every director-cinematographer relationship is a little different as far as, you know, where the ideas originate and how much... you know, the, this, the flow of the set is, is being dictated by, you know, camera setups or by blocking or by, you know, acting or whatever. And, and so I, I found myself, um, being hired mostly by first time directors. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the third movie, fourth movie directors that would look at my reel and go, man, he makes stuff look gorgeous. And I, you know, it's time to, you know, take my, my third movie or my fourth movie up a notch and, hire this guy because he's got this just gorgeous look that Mm -hmm. nobody has. It was more like, you know, like I think I kind of got the reputation of like the DP that helps you get your movie made. And, (laughs) and, and at the same time, isn't that tyrant DP who like is actually just going to take over your movie and, and, you know, get the shots that he wants for his, for his real or like, you know, just, just be a, you know, be a dick about it. Can I say dick on your podcast?
1: Uh, You can say dick. You can say whatever you want, sir.
2: All right. Great. so very so
1: so in in many ways i guess that kept you working because that's you know that's definitely somebody a lot of first-time directors would like to call
2: um it, yeah it kept me working enough for sure i mean i did a lot of a lot of other junk too you know i i held plenty of cameras on reality shows and mm-hmm. that was my first job in la was uh, a camera assistant on the project Greenlight uh series wow that, um,
1: that must have been fun
2: yeah yeah it was real cool and actually it was it was for the the horror movie for for feast. I was you know I was on the documentarian side mm-hmm. and um, just as a camera assistant, and I'd pick up an extra camera whenever I could, and uh, and then I eventually started shooting movies for the for that director and for that production company. So you know I was kind of was kind of at least I want to say smart I guess about what reality show <laughs> I, I worked for, knowing hey there's a transition into movies here. But, you know, it's always, it's always harrowing that those first couple jobs in L.A., uh, you, you want to make sure you, you – it's never going to be exactly what you want to do, but you want to make sure you're, you're setting yourself up for, for growth and, and transition at least. So that one worked out.
1: Yeah, it's true. You, you, it never, ever works out how you plan. I, no. I've never met somebody who's like, oh, yeah, this is exactly how I planned this whole thing out.
2: <laughs> which, which is a theme of the movie Blue Jay.
1: Yes, yes. Which will bring right into Blue Jay. Can you tell me about how Blue Jay came to being?
2: Yeah. So, um, <laughs> ironically, things never work out uh, the way they're <laughs> planned, and right. um, and there is no golden ticket um, in in the movie industry, except uh, Mark Duplass asked me. If I wanted to direct DP a movie that he wrote, so that's uh, a pretty
1: good golden <laughs> ticket i'm just I'm just throwing that out there that's not a bad golden ticket brother
2: <laughs> yeah, i guess I guess after twelve or thirteen years of of, uh, of you know kind of busting my butt, I
1: no you're an overnight successor, you're an overnight success like everybody else
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was yes, it was you know I had done some other work with Mark, but yeah, so blue Jay, blue Jay comes up, Mark says, you know we had just um, finished work together on this documentary. Uh, I made Asperger's or Us, mm-hmm. which um is worth getting into at some point but but he liked working with me and said I got this little film um that I've been conceptualizing, and here's like a, a two page outline um what do you think about what do you think about it and I was, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, we're doing this. that's great um and so you know, so yeah, my first narrative feature is i i I consider myself incredibly lucky uh mm-hmm. i fortunate um, I understand that that doesn't always happen. (laughs) You think? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So you got, so, and then you met Mark working on the league. Yeah. So I was a camera, I was a camera operator on the league and, um, and we, you know, we shared, uh, our passion for, for fart jokes on the set. And then (laughs) when we'd hang out at craft services, we would talk about our, our like little indie films that we loved watching and, you know, kind of our, you know, we, we we shared similar tastes for things like that, and we were both kind of uh, melancholic, uh, often <laughs> often <dark> or depressive <laughs> in our thoughts. But you know, in, introspective. We'll, we'll just say Intra-
1: that you're an introvert, yeah, and not introvert, introspective, introspective, yeah,
2: guess. introspective. But we so we vibed on some stuff, um, and he caught wind of this this documentary that I was on our hiatus weeks. So I'd go out and shoot this this comedy troupe called asperger's or us and these these guys you know they have uh they're all they all have asperger's syndrome and and they they they'd been building this this sketch show and i found it really fascinating so i'd, I'd fly out on my hiatus weeks and i'd i'd you know just make this documentary by myself as one man band mm-hmm. and then i was editing it and finally you know felt like i had something to show and i figured maybe i should show it to mark um and see what happens he's a guy he's a guy who can get shit done so uh <laughs> uh yeah for anybody listening to this um <laughs> at the very end of the podcast uh so listen to this whole thing. i'll give you mark's uh cell phone number his email address, <laughs> his home address he wants submissions from everyone <laughs> um
1: of course please yeah if if you could give a direct yeah direct you could direct cell phone would be perfect i think i think that would (laughs) be great i've
2: been been working with the guy for you know for four years uh (laughs) and it was still incredibly you know i don't like asking people for things and so it was incredibly uncomfortable for me to even just kind of bring it up um I'm like, but, hey,
1: do you wanna kinda look at my documentary?
2: <laughs> yeah. And thankfully the you know, thankfully the the league was ending. So it was like, okay, if he hates it or if like he just doesn't want to have anything to do with it, at least we don't have like a whole a whole other season where it's gonna be just awkward on set every time. <laughs> like, hey man, I saw your uh your do-, you know, it was uh it was, uh, oh, Hey, the carrot sticks are coming out. Gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I knew like, all right, whatever. Like if, even if the guy never talks to me again, at least I know, like I busted my ass on this documentary. I put my money into it. I put, mm-hmm. I put, you know, a ton of effort into it and I believed in it. And so I was like, all right, like this is, this is the, I'm taking this one shot. This is the one shot. I'm, I'm taking it. And, uh, and he liked it. And so, you know, he, he gave me uh, a couple notes and, um, he, you know, he and his brother came on as executive producers and, you know, helped me kind of finish it out from a financial and creative perspective. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we got it, we got it to South by
3: mm-hmm. and
2: we sold it to Netflix and all that kind of stuff that just wouldn't have happened uh, without a guy like Mark um, behind it. And we just really enjoyed working together. So um, Mark is so,
1: Mark is that 800 pound gorilla without question in the room. He is, he's, he's, him and his brother, I mean, they've been doing, and I mean, I've talked about Mark, uh, on, on the show many times and, and on the website, I'm a huge fan of Mark's and, uh, and what he does in Puffy Chair and the whole Mumblecore movement when it started and stuff like that. And he's an inspiration, man. He really is an inspiration of what, what can be done, uh, in the film industry without question. And he seems, at least he seems very down to earth. Oh, he's Uh,
2: such a jerk. (laughs) Dude. Never again. <laughs> Great actor. That's all I gotta say. Great. No, he's, yeah, uh, and, and, yeah, and to boot, he's just a, just a very kind human being who just uh, yeah, he just he just listens to people and and he's just very present. So um, and melancholic uh, and, and and melancholic. <laughs> yep. Yep.
1: So how was it? And so so you're directing your first narrative, all right? And then you've got uh, you, you're directing. A, a thing written by or a film written by Mark Duplass. And then you're going to direct Mark Duplass and Sarah Paulson in a movie. How do yeah. you go about that?
2: Well, <laughs> um, you know, we, we were going off of, you know, not a complete script. We were, we were going off of, uh, a scriptment, I guess you could call it. We yeah, I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you about the
1: writing. How does it? Is it like his normal writing, improv-heavy kind of stuff? What's his process as far as the writing and, and how the script is brought well, out
2: yeah, to? I don't, I don't know what his process is for everything, mm-hmm. um, and I think this one was a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I can tell you as far as the process for this one, we, you know, we, we started. He, he had two pages, um, and you, you're going to think like two pages that. Really must not have had a lot. Those two pages had Everything. every every word had importance. It, it, it kind of amazed me when I read it. I was like, wow, these two pages tell an entire story, and more importantly, tell tell a you know have a mood, have a tone that just you know is just it just it just hits you you know at the core. So we started with that, and you know, we would, he and I would email back and forth, like some thoughts, and kind of built built it out a little bit. Um, and then and then we cast Sarah, and we had a couple of production meetings where um, Sarah, Mark, myself, and a couple of the film's producers, who were um, insanely talented and generous in their in their ideas, uh, Mel Eslund. And Zan Aranda and um, Sid Fleischman, they would, they would, we would all sit together and it was half uh, half prep where we would just kind of discuss the story and like kind of throw out ideas and talk about what was resonating, what themes we were kind of, you know, finding as, as as subtext. And part of it was like group therapy where we were just, we would start to tell our stories, you know, our high school sweetheart you know our oh, our high school moment all yeah. that kind of stuff uh-huh. which is but it's you know what it's amazing because you end up i mean it was kind of like the breakfast club right where you by the end <laughs> of it everybody just has put themselves out there so hard in front of everyone that you you build this trust and this bond and and so we um you know we would throw all this stuff out and mark would you know go back and write some more based on what we were doing and
3: mm-hmm.
2: and i, I I started realizing that the most important thing I could do was, was listen to kind of what everyone, everyone else was saying, especially Mark and Sarah. Um, we shot the film chronologically. Like I, I had ideas that I wanted to throw out here and there, but, um, but everybody had so many good ideas that it, it started turning into, okay, what, like, make sure that you're not just, you know, when you're not talking, make sure you're not just thinking of your own idea. Make sure you're, you're really listening to, especially what Mark and Sarah are connecting to and what, what story they want to tell. Because otherwise, you know, you just get, you know, how it is in conversations. A lot of times like you, people check out and they're not listening to you anymore. Mm-hmm. Just thinking about what they're going to say next. Um, and, and so it's like, okay, I was like, all right, I got to be so present, and so aware of what they're saying, or even just like, you know, what, what it feels like they're thinking when they're not talking. And so I kind of just really tried to pick up what, what, you know, the stories they wanted to tell were and what, what, you know, they wanted to bring to it. Cause you know, everybody's got some personal stuff that that was thrown into this film and we changed some of the details and everything. We want to protect everybody, but, um, but it's a, it's a very personal movie in, in a collective fashion.
1: Um, oh, so it's a little, bit of, so a little bit of everybody's story is in this, in one way, shape, or form, in, in that group that you were talking
2: about. Ab- absolutely. Yeah.
1: Uh, so that's why it's so, you know, and I've seen, like I told you earlier, I've only been able to see half of it because I just got uh, access to it a little bit ago. But um, the parts that I've seen, uh, a little bit over half the movie already, I can. there is that honesty, that realness. It doesn't seem manufactured. It doesn't seem like it just came out of somebody's head. At least it feels a little. It feels real. Um, yeah, it, that's, that's, what, that's
2: what we were going for for sure. Is like a, a, a richness, a richness in in in, in honesty and and honesty. You know, this, yeah. this is not the the most plot heavy film you're ever going to see, but but mm-hmm. as far as as far as the characters, like they are very well developed characters, and and you know. Yeah, there's just a, a, everything that, that that they say is coming from a genuine place, even when it's not like, you know, from the actors. It's just it is coming from somewhere. Uh, but but I, I think to, to finally answer your question, yeah. um, the most I think the most important thing that, that I could do directing actors who are amazing and way more experienced than I am, mm-hmm. um, who don't need me to help them with their acting Mm -hmm. the only thing you know the biggest thing i could do was really just listen to to the moments and find what was genuine and just kind of in between takes be like like yeah this like you said like this really resonated like let's go in this direction and we shot everything chronologically so we it was really about just kind of sitting in on 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 a really intimate uh, uh you know conversation between two people and and Kind of letting him know what what was working, what was resonating, what felt real, and and I got to bring you know my documentarian background into this, where you know you're chasing story as a documentarian, mm-hmm. and you know uh, you're not dictating what happens, but when you see something that you like or that's interesting or that that makes you think or ask more questions, you you dig deeper, and so that was I would say that's how I was um, you know directing other than the visual stuff, obviously I was was shooting the film as well. So it's kind of wearing both of those hats.
1: So, so then did you guys have a final script or was like, what was the final piece of paper that you guys were working with on set? Was it just basically a big outline or what was the actual process? Yeah,
2: There there was probably like a 15, 20 page, um, scriptment. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there were certain scenes that like we would talk about, uh, the day before knowing that we, we actually wanted a full, script for that so um you know there's a couple scenes where mark you know would go home at night and type type up you know type up that three to five pages and uh and we'd have that the next morning but most most of the film was shot on a you know off of a 15 to 20 page document and and us shooting chronologically
1: and and as far as you as a director is it kind of you know, because I know normally in a, you know, what they teach in film school and all that kind of stuff, you have that whole, you know, your whole script and everything. This is a very unique and different process, though it's becoming more and more common nowadays uh, because of Mark and Joe Swansburg and, and Lynn Shelton and those and those uh, directors and filmmakers. But do you find yourself as a director kind of just almost like a documentary? You're, you're trying to catch the moment because the moment's not scripted. Sometimes it's it just comes out. Do you find yourself kind of like just just preparing yourself to catch that moment
2: yeah I think we were going for a feeling more than um, a precision in in words or actions and so um, as long as we were kind of capturing the nostalgic melancholy and as you know as long as we were like feeling that that the characters of Jim and Amanda were you know evolving together developing you know new and interesting uh, dynamics which, when you were working with Mark Duplass and Sarah Paulson, like they're, they're going to do that. They're just, they're, they're that good. They're, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as long as you've got that, it's, 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 yeah, I think it's just about finding those moments and going like, that's interesting, you know, and, and you just bank, you just bank a lot of those really cool moments and you, you chase extra, you know, kind of extra themes and extra through lines. So that you give yourself, uh, you know, some options in post, Mm-hmm. Chris Donlin, our editor, uh, he's cut for Togetherness. Um, he's mm-hmm. he he cut uh, Creep, so he's pretty familiar with um, you know the the way you know these Duplass films shoot in one way or another. Where you know we we cut together um, different versions of scenes in case mm-hmm. we want to chase the story this way or chase the story that way. So we give ourselves some options, but but at the end of the day, it's always it's just always about walking away from a scene feeling like we went somewhere real. We were, we went somewhere interesting and uh, none of us feels like it was a lie. Right
1: now you were saying that you also were sort of the cinematographer as well as a director. How do you balance having both those hats on the same set? Cause I've done it myself and it's, it's challenging to say the least.
2: Um, yeah, I, there, you know, we, Sometimes we were shooting single camera and sometimes we were, we were cross shooting. And um, the first couple days I would operate one of the cameras when we were cross shooting. I quickly learned not to do that because then I only get to see half of what's going on. Um, so that's one way, you know, you've got to do it is if you start trying to do the cross coverage for improv, like just put, put someone, put people on, put someone else on, on the camera. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, your gaffer or your camera assistant or just, you know, your mom, I, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> like, it's more important that you are, you know, watching both sides. So that's an important one. And that's a lesson I learned uh, day two or three. Um, and, and then as far as everything else, I, my cinematography has always been about the story. And that sounds kind of cliche, and I like kind of hated myself for just saying it there, but, <laughs> because I feel like it's like what somebody has like on their website or, or like on their business card. Or whatever. But but it's true. Like I've never been obsessed with lenses. Uh, I was just asked to write this article about like selecting the right lens, and I was, I was like, no, I, I I usually like select the lenses that that make the storytelling easier. I'm never I'm never the one that's like, oh man, this lens has a killer flare. We got to get that. Like I don't care. Mm -hmm. I really, I, you know, I'll spend a little time lighting. I'll spend a little time thinking about what the, what the, um, you know, what the look needs to be. But more important to me is, um, does the shot tell the story and, you know, does the blocking benefit the story or is it just, am I just trying to fit the blocking into the frame to make something look pretty? And, and when you start thinking like, okay, like how do I make the cinematography work for the story? You're, Thinking so much about what the story is that you 're right back to thinking like a director anyways, so I think that if you 're shooting for the story uh, you're not and you have a little bit of shooting experience and you 're not like fumbling through the camera menu as long as you' as long as you 've learned the basics, uh, mm-hmm. that stuff kind of goes on autopilot and you're you're just working towards the story anyways, and uh, you kind of get lost in the story
1: now what was the size of your crew
2: we were um, yeah, we were, we were like 12, 13, I think 12, 13, 14 of us and we shot it in seven days. Uh, it's, it's engineered, you know, to, to, to be achievable with something like that. Um, we didn't want too many people, uh, you know, it's a very intimate story. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't want to set with just a bunch of people being loud and everything. Um, it's not all in one location. A lot of people ask, like, oh, seven days, did you shoot it all in a house? Mm-hmm. About half of it is in a house, but uh, half of it isn't. But when you have you know, 12, 13 people on your crew, um, you don't have a lot of vans or a lot of gear or a lot of people to move around, so you can actually hop around to a bunch of places every day and just shoot more. And where did you shoot? What, what state? Uh, we shot in California um, in Crestline. It's it's uh, next to Big Bear
1: Oh, I was gonna say it looks. It looked like I thought it was like almost Colorado or Montana because of all the. It just looked. It didn't look California at all to me.
2: Uh, when yeah, I saw it. it's, a, it's a pretty cool area up there, um, and and yeah, we we there are a couple shots specifically that like really make it feel like much much bigger mountain uh, mountain world than than what you would expect from anything near L.A. But yeah, it's like two hours from L.A.
1: Oh, really? It's not that far away either. Yeah so then um uh, what kind of lighting package did you use by the way?
2: um, I used a couple of l e d like light pads, light mats i like mm-hmm. big big sources, but um you know they don't need to be like bright they just need to be bigger sources um so that they're a little more um pleasing on mm-hmm. uh, on actors faces mm-hmm. um and actually, I ended up using i i saw you know those like like not like the little Christmas lights, but like the bigger bulb ones that people use in their back in their patios and stuff.
3: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. So I love the look of those. Um, I've got a couple strands of them going around my backyard and, uh, in, and in, you know, around my patio table. And when, when we're out there eating just everybody's faces, are, like they're glowing and their eyes just have these just beautiful, beautiful sparkles to them. And I've always thought like, man, this, this, these lights, you know, and the way they wrap around and they give shape, they really, they they really create a, a beautiful look on people's faces. But the intensity is too low because I've tried shooting stills, and I've tried shooting video with with them, just even in my backyard. I'm like, it's just not not quite enough light. Well, we we happen to be we shot the film with with this new Canon camera, which, which I'll get into in a sec. Oh yeah, uh, and it's really good at low light. So. So it just, it just kind of clicked for me. Like, Oh, I'm going to, I just took down all my lights in my backyard. Uh, not even out of like budget necessity, but, <laughs> but, but because I love the quality of them so much and I realized like, I'm not going to need a generator. We're not going to need like crazy rigging stuff. Cause these are just like Christmas lights. It's just use some tape and some clamps, but like, you can just kind of like for anybody who's a little bit more of a lighting nerd, like you can, you know, with, cause it's a, it's a strand. You can kind of like, Wrap it around so that it gives like you know better shape to the faces than mm-hmm. just like you know like but I'm not this, just thinking, but like, this
1: is not practical. This is stuff off off camera. You were using the
2: lights. Yeah, it was off camera. Yeah, and I would I would just rig them you know like up like up on the ceiling and tape them around and just kind of like get the shape I wanted on people's faces. And knowing that the intensity of of these bulbs was enough. And and so like you know we got some really cool looks out of it um so was so it's basically a
1: very so you had some leds uh some some basically like flexi lights
2: uh i don't know what those are but yeah they're like 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 uh two two foot by three foot uh led pads i had two mm-hmm. of those and and i had a bunch of christmas lights and um and natural light yeah and practicals too i guess like whatever sure. you know yeah, lamps bulbs and stuff, and stuff like else. that
1: some bounces yep. here and there and basically you were done
2: yeah. Yeah. But like we didn't, yeah, we, that was our, that was our lighting package. Like we had like two.
1: So no 200 pound, 2000 pound grip truck. No five, five ton, 10 ton.
2: We, we didn't, we didn't even have like an airy kit. Like it was just, <laughs> it was just, you know, it was like those two light pads and, and, um, and like the Christmas lights and, you know, and, it, and the lamps and practicals. Yeah.
1: So tell me about this camera you were shooting with.
2: So it was developed by Canon for the military or for security it doesn't have an onboard recorder. It doesn't have onboard power.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So right at, the, you know, right at the get-go, you say this is not made for, for, for filmmaking. Mm-hmm. It's basically a security camera, but it's a full-frame sensor that only shoots 1080 because it basically has these giant pixels that just suck up any light that's out there. There's like photon magnets I just geeked out big time.
1: (laughs) I I feel you, brother. I feel you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and so, and so, yeah, you, you end up being able to shoot it. Like, I mean, I tested it all the way to like hundred thousand ISO. And, um, as long as I was getting like a a half decent exposure at, at, at that, you know, at that setting, I, the, the noise was not too bad. Um, and on top of that, we, you know, we were shooting, we knew we were going to make it black and white yes, and which we were, we were going to add some grain. Yes. And so I was like, all right, that, that like now I have to worry about noise even less. But, um, but yeah, the camera, the camera was performing really well, like at like 50,000 ISO and sometimes at a hundred thousand ISO. And, um, yeah. It, it, and it also, it has this full frame sensor, which just, it, it you know, it's, it's like what the big movies are doing a lot, a lot now, like with, you know, like the Revenant, right? Like anybody who's shooting 65 mil, uh, to get that feeling that, that really intimate feeling, um, or Tarantino's shooting, you know, he shot 70 mil inside Mm -hmm. of a cabin. Um, not because he wanted the vistas, but because he wanted, he wanted that relation, uh, relational space with his actors inside, you know, inside the the cabin. Mm -hmm. Well, that full frame sensor looks gorgeous with you know some canon cine primes and and it really just allows you to just be a lot closer to the actors without like having like a fish eye that like just starts distorting them and making it feel less personal so um the combination it really was it wasn't just about a low-light camera it was also like the full-frame sensor and the image that it that it created with the with the cine primes it just i don't know it, it just felt like very like a it was going to be a very intimate look, um, so now, that's, yeah.
1: So the the next question is, why did you guys decide to shoot black and white? Because obviously, black and white lessens your markability. But I think with the cast that you had and the kind of movie it is, uh, I guess that's not as big of a of a problem as it would be for an independent filmmaker with no name actors in their movie, correct? But what made you choose to shoot black and white?
2: Well, we I mean, we have to give props to Netflix. Um, you know, the, the Duplasses have a—you know this development deal, this four-picture deal with Netflix, and we knew that this film probably was going to um, go into that.
1: So is this part of that four-picture four
2: deal? It is. It's the first. Oh, cool. And we reached out to Netflix when we were in prep and just said, like, hey, you know, we're looking at making this movie, and, you know, we got Sarah and Mark and... very small It's a chamber piece and we want to make it black and white (laughs) (laughs) and they said no problem go for it
1: I I hear I hear honestly I hear working with Netflix as a creator they just kind of really let you loose in a lot of ways
2: yeah and you know by the way it's smart like I don't I don't I appreciate what they're doing and and you know as as a filmmaker it's it's exciting um when i think about it from a business perspective it's like yeah you know you you want to attract people who are inspired and you want to have as many different and interesting things as possible so it's like yeah let, please let it's a smart move it's a smart move on on their behalf and and we're all very thankful for it mm-hmm. um but but yeah so unlike, unlike something like the man who wasn't there where mm-hmm. it's like the coen brothers and and even the coen brothers are being told like well shoot it in color and we'll probably let you release it in black and white, but let's just shoot it in color to to cover our asses. It's like they're the Cullen brothers. Let them do whatever they want to do. But, like, you know, studios, especially when it's a bigger budget, they want to, to, you know, Cover, you know, protect their assets, and and it Fair makes enough. sense. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Fair enough. Now, now you brought up uh, budget. I, I know that's a very sensitive subject. Can you tell us a, a, an estimate of what the budget was on this? Because so people understand, not an exact, of course, but just you know, under something.
2: It was under fifty million.
1: Nice, nice.
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 under fifty million. So. Under fifty million. I swear. <laughs> and, and as soon as uh,
1: it looks like fifty-two million, tell you the truth. I well,
2: <laughs> I, I appreciate that. We'll, we'll release the actual budget once, um, once the IRS is done auditing us.
1: <laughs> you know, that's a great. That's I'm gonna. That's gonna be my answer now from from now on. Anytime anyone asks what my budgets are, <laughs> very cool. Now, this premiered at was it Toronto?
2: Yep. Toronto, How, so, was ago. that
1: the first time you were at Toronto, the Toronto Film Festival?
2: I've been there as a as a DP. Okay. A couple for a short and a, uh, and, a doc, and a doc that I shot, but uh, that was years ago. It's it's that that festival is just blown up. It's, it's an
1: amazing. I, I've been. I've, it's been a long time since I've been at that festival too. But when I went, it was a beautiful festival. But how was it? So there's a different experience about going as a DP and then going with a movie that has stars Mark Duplass and Sarah Paulson that's you know premiering there. How does that whole adventure? How did that tell us? like a fly in the wall. How was that adventure for you?
2: Um, the hotel room was really nice. And chocolates <laughs> and, no, I mean, you know, it was, it was overwhelming. It was all, it was all really overwhelming to be completely honest. Um, there's a lot of really wonderful talented people there. There's, you know, like any festival, there's so many movies you want to see and you're never going to get a chance to see all of them. Um, and you want to like, you want to meet everyone and talk to everyone. Uh, me personally, like I I want to stay away from all the business people and the agents and the producers and whatever. And I just want to go meet other filmmakers and actors and watch their stuff and, and gush about, you know, how they did it differently and -hmm. and how I've learned something by watching them. But, um, but you know, it's, it's also like, you know, an industry, uh, it's definitely a very much, very much an industry festival where, uh, We were there promoting the film, and that was really fun, and, you know, Mark was there. And uh, we screened it. We premiered it for a 1,000 people, uh, you know, at the Ryerson Theater. Mm -hmm. We'd never screened the film in a theater for anyone.
1: Right, but it was shot 1080p, right? It
2: was shot 1080p. Okay. But when we we did a couple test screenings when we were, you know— Cutting the film and just kind of seeing if you know if people liked it or if we were just if we'd just made this little thing that like the fifteen of us liked <laughs> and, and everybody else hated. Right. Um, There's and, always that
1: moment when you're making a movie that you're like, does anyone else like this besides
2: us? Yeah. Are we just getting a whole bunch of inside jokes? Is that it?
1: Right. Exactly. It's it's you're, you live in a bubble though when you're when you're a filmmaker sometimes because you you watch the same cut. I'm sure you must have seen that cut at least sixty, a hundred times prior to release. And whatever was working on the first two or three times you watched it it doesn't have the same impact on the hundredth.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. You, you, you like you're, and you're always, you know,
1: you feel lost at the end of it. You just like, is it, is it good anymore? I don't know. I really don't know anymore.
2: Yeah. You're looking for ways to make it better and you're, and you're looking for the flaws and you're trying to, you know, just polish it and polish it every time you're watching it. You're just looking for anything else you can polish. Uh, and and so you're not appreciating it anymore. So you're like, yeah, I don't know, like, do people appreciate this? Like, can people get lost in this in this thing? Because all I can do is is look for the mistakes. Which thankfully, like, right before we got to TIFF, uh, I had that moment. Like that, you know, you 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 QC the the DCP, mm-hmm. and you know, you know that you're 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 in the clear. And you're just watching it in case something weird happens, but, you know, it's locked. You know, nobody's going to let you unlock it. Right. Unless, like, you know, unless it just, there's, unless it sounds like there's a T-Rex, like, walking in the background <laughs> for some weird reason. Uh, you know, your producers are like, you're done. We need to send us a TIFF are you know, we're already behind schedule. Yeah. And, you know, we're not spending another dime on this. It's locked. It's great. So, like, finally, when you get to that point, you can watch the movie knowing, you know, it's like put, put down the weapon, just enjoy It's like Put the knife down. (laughs) Yeah. Put the knife down, uh, put the cutting scissors down, put whatever. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, I did get to enjoy the movie before Tiff and actually just like cry and laugh and do all the, do all the feelings, which, um, you know, I didn't get to do for the months that we were trying to, you know, finish the film. Mm -hmm. But, but even so the, The biggest screening we had, and this wasn't the final version of the film, but the last time we test screened a version of the film, it was 10 people in a room on some couches and with a TV. And all of a sudden, we're in a giant theater with a thousand people.
1: Oh, God, that must be insane.
2: Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And it's, you know, it's like a 1080p, like, which, you know, nowadays isn't that impressive. It's, you know, pretty low res for, you know, however big that screen was. And, um, and it's, it's just like very much a little DIY film in a lot of ways. So, well,
1: yeah, I mean, it seems. I mean, well, under fifty million nowadays doesn't get you a, a lot.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but from <laughs> from what you're telling me, from at least from the production side, it sounds like a very DIY uh, DIY kind of film. Yeah, sure, you have big talent in front of you, but at the end of the day, it was just you and a few cameras and ten to twelve people making an, a little and very small you know, small movie with a very intimate story, uh, and being projected up there. So how did that 1080p project?
2: You know what? It, it held up great. It it really did. And I don't know if, if people are, you know, I don't know if we're all more forgiving because it's black and white and because it had a little bit of a, I think it's got like a polished gritty look. I don't know how to did you, it you added grain to it? Added a little bit of grain. Yeah. Added grain to the theatrical, uh, to the theatrical one more than the, than what will be on Netflix. Um, I tested it on like some screens and some TVs and I was like, all right, like we can't, we can't do like one grain pass for, for everything. So we added a little extra grain for the, uh, for the theatrical.
1: Okay. So for the theat, so anytime you're doing a theatrical, you added a little bit more grain to it. Now, what was the purpose for the adding of the grain? Just, uh, just, I mean, uh, on a, Filmmaker to filmmaker, I just wanted to know why you did it as far as its aesthetic. Is it because you're trying to get that warm film feeling that we all grew up with?
2: <laughs> yeah, cause cause grain's cool, man.
1: Grain is cool. I do I do good good grain. Not yeah, not dancing yeah. not dancing ants.
2: No, not dancing ants. Yeah, we tested we tested some grain and you know, everybody's got their propri- proprietary grains now. Like HBO's got their vinyl, you know, I I guess vinyl's canceled now, but they had their like big proprietary grain for vinyl. We did a bunch of um, tests uh, with, with different film grains and and we found one that, that felt really natural, but yeah, I don't know. It just, it just, um, it gives image a little bit more life mm-hmm. or it can. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is a film that doesn't have color. It doesn't have sweeping uh, crane shots. It doesn't, uh, it has like one dolly shot. I want to say you had a dolly. Uh, you had a dolly. We had a we had a little doorway dolly. Um, I was going to say you, know, you didn't I have used, a I used it once. <laughs> right. I didn't want to use it for much. Uh it, it's, you know, there's it's a, it's a simply shot film mm-hmm. and um you know, we, we, a lot of the story is is driven by by these characters talking. So you don't, you know, you don't you don't want to do too much. You want to you really let it uh let it live with the actors. And and so like a little bit of a little bit of grain kinda gives that just subconscious feeling of like life and movement, I guess. That sounds a little pretentious. I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna go back to film to grain, the grain is cool. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: <laughs> now um so Netflix obviously was involved prior to you guys filming, correct?
2: Um they they were definitely saying that this seemed like the first film that they wanted to pick up from the deal. Okay. Um, but I don't think it was officially a Netflix film right away.
1: And then, but you're also doing like, you're releasing it in, in this kind of new distribution model where it's streaming and it's in theater's on the same day.
2: Yeah. So we have these, these great distributors, uh, that, you know, the Duplasses have worked with a bunch. They're called the orchard. Mm -hmm. Um, they curate a lot of really good films. I'm excited about a lot of the stuff on their slate. But um they're yeah, so they're doing our theatrical and our VOD. And then eventually the film will be on Netflix. But um but yeah, actually it comes out, I don't know when this podcast airs, but but we premiere in we do our, our New York theatrical release October seventh mm-hmm. and our LA theatrical release October 14th. And it does VOD and digital platforms October 11th. So. Um,
1: so we'll be on Netflix on October 11th as well.
2: No. Okay. It'll be on Netflix TBD, but but not in October.
1: Not in October, but probably soon there. Therefore, after afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. After VOD and and uh, and the other digital platforms. Yep. Very very cool, man. Um. So I have three questions that I ask all of my guests. Uh, and there this is this is my Oprah moment, so prepare yourself. I'm
2: checking uh, my couch right now.
1: All uh, right, get ready to cry.
2: Is that, oh, there's a furball. Is that what everybody gets?
1: <laughs> so what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in life or in the film business?
2: Um Wow.
1: If you were a tree, what kind of No I'm joking.
2: <laughs> uh the lesson, the the longest. So, the hardest the learned, lesson that hardest took you the
1: longest to learn in life or in the business?
2: Right now, all I can think of is the lyrics. The hardest to learn was the least complicated. Mm-hmm. Did, did I just misquote that or is that? No, no, you're good. Um, am I going 90s <laughs> now? I would say that everybody is feeling what you're feeling when you're, you know, everybody's got those moments of, um, of insecurity and, and doubt. And feeling like they don't belong, mm-hmm. because it's very it's very easy to to just go inward and, and and focus on what you're feeling. And it's like, man, I don't you know I don't know if I'm doing the right thing, uh, if I'm making the right choice, whether it's a life choice or an onset choice or an editorial choice or whatever. Uh, and you 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 think like, man, I just I just really don't know sometimes. Um, and yeah, I think only recently I realized like just every, everybody. You know, even the ones that just seem like they've got it all together, everybody is is constantly having those same questions, um, no matter who they are,
1: and insecurities. And, and, and so, you mean James Cameron? After he's gonna do the next Avatar, is gonna go? I don't know. Did I do it right?
2: <laughs> I I'd be willing to bet that James Cameron's got plenty of insecurities as yeah, well. Of it's course. It's how he processes them. It's how he shows them, or hides them, or whatever. That's what's different between uh, you and, and James and me. And mm-hmm. but but yeah, I, everyone. I, and, and it just seems so obvious. Uh, so that's I think that's why that, that song was going through my head. Uh, but <laughs> but but you know, it just it is one of those things where if you're an inward thinking person, you can you can forget that like everybody's got that same struggle.
1: Yeah. And I I mean, I've been in post for better part of two decades and I've had, I've worked on a lot of feature films and I know that's very true. I mean, no matter how big the person is in the room while you're editing or color grading or finishing a movie, they all have those insecurities. They're just like, is it good? You know, is it, is it, is are those jokes funny? Did it cry in the right spot? Um, so we're all human beings at the end of the day and we're all artists, you know, filmmakers are artists at the end of the day and artists are insecure generally speaking. (laughs)
2: a lot a lot of wonderful things come from that insecurity. Which
1: mm-hmm. is great. Uh, now, what are your three favorite films of all time?
2: All right. Um Jaws is number 1, I'm mm-hmm. sure. It's been
1: on the it's been on the list many times on the show. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um I'm going to say you know it it definitely varies, but I'm going to say uh just to keep this podcast moving, Hot Fuzz is the movie that like <laughs>
1: I love that movie.
2: (laughs) Every time I go back to it, I'm like, Oh shit. And he did this and he did that, that, that just, you know, that's the kind of movie that, that I love where you just, I don't know. It's like, it's like airplane where you just go, Oh, Oh, but," but instead of, you know, instead of just like, you know, gags and stuff, it's, it's, you know, it's plot stuff, it's characters. I don't know. Yeah. Hot fuzz is, is a very, is a brilliant movie to me that just doesn't get the credit it deserves. Uh, and you know, I know a lot of people love it, but you gotta like watch it like twice in the same week to really <laughs> to realize how much thought was put into everything.
1: Like you brought up airplane again, and like every time I even think about airplane, I crack up.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen a grown man naked, Jimmy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just then one t- of those. Yeah. Where, like I feel like the filmmakers just like you know, just like worked on the movie so much where they're like, anytime there's a void of even half a second, we're going to find a joke in there, whether it's a sight gag or oh, sound effect, whatever. Like we, it, like we're just going to cram the, the you know, the jokes in there. It's, it's amazing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It really is. It really is. And what was your third?
2: Um, the 400 blows is a movie that, that, um, I connected with wow. at a young age.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's a good film. It's a really good film.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that, that film a lot. And that, that definitely speaks Closer to the kind of kinds of films that I like to make, mm-hmm. um, where I just you know really really like to stick with a character or a couple characters, and even if you put them through a gauntlet, it's all about you know them and and just kind of how they're 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 getting through that gauntlet. Um, yeah.
1: And then um, what was the like the funniest uh, story you can actually say publicly that happened on set?
2: Hmm. Well. That time that Mark punched Sarah out, and then we had to, like <laughs> she had those black eyes that we had to oh, you said that you can say publicly. You, say,
1: say pub- you can um. say publicly, sir, that you can say publicly. <laughs> I'll edit that out, sir.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it was a very it was very um just a, a positive uh set. I'm I'm trying to think. Like, no
1: outtakes? Nobody like just broke for one reason or another?
2: I mean, there's there's an outtake that made made it into the film. Uh, there's, I mean, a spit take. So I guess not, it's not, oh,
1: yeah, I just saw the spit take right before I called. That's where I'm actually where I'm at in the movie.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that, I mean, that was, that was fun. That was a nice little gift, but, um,
1: it was a really good spit take by the way.
2: <laughs> it was, it was very real, very unplanned and they kept going and it was, yeah, it was, it was fun. It's it was, about
1: those capturing those moments. It's like capturing that magic. It's, yeah. it's, it is like a documentarian in a lot of ways.
3: Yeah. You know,
2: it's, you, you want to capture that lightning in a bottle and you know that, um, I mean, listen, like really, really good filmmakers can recreate those moments, uh, like champs, like the, you know, there's a lot of people that are just, you know, I mean, there's certain filmmakers that will do a hundred takes to get it exactly the way that they wanted it or to give themselves every option that they need Mm -hmm. to, to cut it. Um, and that's a great way uh, to make films, and especially if you've done it well for you know twenty years, you you get to that point where you really are going to be the person who can uh, refine, and you've got actors that just can dial it, in. and and you know I think Sarah is actually one one of his actors for sure, and uh, you know Mark is 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 good at that, but Mark's background is um, not a cl- of a classical training. He he is the most aware and in the moment person you'll ever meet. If you have a conversation with them, you'll feel like the rest of the world doesn't exist to you, to him. He's there. And that's a big part of what he brings to his acting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, he is good at like recreating moments, but he's even better at just being incredibly genuine, incredibly genuine in the moment. So, um, you know, we, we we really look to capture that lightning in a bottle. And if we've got it, um, and we're happy. We go home. We don't, we don't say, now let's make the lightning a little <laughs> bit louder, for, you know, like a little bit, a little bit brighter for this take. Let's just see if we can, you know, tweak the lightning. Or can the lightning come in like half a second later? It's like, no, dude. You just fucking caught the lightning in the it's, bottle. You just nailed it. Why are we doing yeah, it again? Like, yeah. Like this is – it wasn't exactly what any of us had – planned for it's not a kubrick set no yeah (laughs) it's the anti-kubrick set and you know you get you get to go home every day with these amazing things that happened and um it's kind of like life like you know i dare anybody to try to write down on a piece of paper exactly what's going to happen to them uh Mm -hmm. today and if they get it right i'm going to say your life is boring (laughs) (laughs) go out and you know let let Go out and let yourself be surprised, and 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 put yourself in in situations that that allow for for interesting things to happen. Which is, I give credit to to you know, I am a fan of the Duplass films, and I, you know I think where some people fall short of it in trying to replicate it. It's uh, you can't just have two characters be somewhere and talk and expect that the lightning is going to strike. You need Mm -hmm. to create that perfect condition. And um, a big part of it is, is developing these two developing characters that have things that they need from each other and want from each other. And um, you know, putting them in scenarios where uh, those things can happen and have somewhere to go. Um, So, you know, you do have to create the conditions for the lightning. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to say it's, it's, you know, it's just as easy as, sitting around waiting for lightning to strike. But, um, but at the same time, it's, it's very much being aware and open-minded and lightning shows up in all different forms.
1: And uh final, final question. Is there anything you can, if you, if you were going to give one piece of advice to filmmakers, just starting out in the business, what would that be?
2: Um, do everything for a little bit. Uh, you know, don't, don't, don't try to just follow a, a path you've set out for yourself. Um, and I, well, yeah, I am I'm giving two pieces of, I'm cheating on your question. I don't care. Fine, yeah. Go for it. Do everything to, you know, take, take all those jobs. But the other thing is like, go, go out and make those movies and, you know, whatever. It's cliche at this point, but like shoot it on your iPhone. If you have to, you know, Hey, work works for Sean, Sean Baker. Laptop, <laughs> do whatever you got to exactly. Um, but, but like shoot them, and cut them and finish them. don't spend a ton of money on them. Um, allow the first few to suck, and maybe they won't, but they possibly will, and don't hate yourself when they suck and don't go broke making the first couple of sucky shorts or whatever. like just keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and you're going to get better. Um, I guarantee you that, you know, when you compare yourself, like we all do, you compare yourself to the filmmakers you love, you're comparing yourself to them farther along in the process. Uh, yeah. Everybody, you, you know, you, you, need, you need to remember that they had their first films as well, their first shorts and like, even even what is publicly their first short, like, I don't know, there's like, there's like the Scorsese, the guy shaving, whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. Which is like a you know a cool little short, and it's like apparently like his first short film. I call bullshit on that. I guarantee you, <laughs> I, I guarantee you, he made some short films that weren't weren't as good, and like they never you know
1: they never been they never they've seen the line.
2: Scorsese's first short.
1: They didn't get a Criterion Collection on it. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. Just, I, I, and and by the way, even even if he even if it, if that was for you know what, fine. That's Scorsese. There's plenty of room for other people like like me and you right, who, right. Uh, who need to make some some shitty short films and some, you know, some, you know, learn, just learn, learn to suck and then, and then stop sucking. It's, it's that easy. Well, but a lot, I, I just see too many people make something, they either put all their money in it or all their emotion in it. And then when it's not what they wanted it to be, uh, they give up and that's just, it just doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, from what I understand, the du Dupl- the Mark and Jay made their first feature, uh, and they spent a ton of money on it, and it, they never released it because they said it was just absolute dog shit. They
2: were ma- they were trying to, as the story goes, they were trying to make the great American film, and and it was dog shit. And then they what they 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 took their mom's camera, like they were about to quit the film industry, and yeah. they took mom's camera and recorded that that a short. short, yeah, yeah,
1: the little short that was that got into Sundance and launched their whole career, yeah. And then they did Puffy Chair, I think, right after that, yeah. Yes, everyone and that's has a story.
2: Other people chances to make movies, which is so
1: cool. About exists. yeah, they do give. They really do help other filmmakers along, and they really help launch other filmmakers. Um, and they do. They they care. They really do care, and it's uh, it's it's wonderful uh, that they do that. Because a lot of people, when they get to the level that the Duplasses are at, they don't. They just forget about them, and they just live in their ivory tower.
2: Well, yeah, and I you know I don't I don't even blame those people. I think a lot of them are just tired. Yeah, oh, no, I know. They get bombarded. The bosses or anyone else, it's so, so much work to get to where they are.
3: Oh, yeah.
2: Um, but, but, yeah, I guess Mark and Jay have, you know, reserved a little bit of energy and uh, compassion for, for other people trying to get stuff done. So, yeah, they're for sure.
1: So where can people find you and find uh, the movie?
2: I'm, right now, I'm um, an Encino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah people can find me um jeez i don't know i I have a website twitter do you have a a website uh, facebook i don't know um
1: so no one can find you alex okay that's fine great marketing fantastic
2: great well you know i'm not a movie i'm a i'm I'm just a guy you know just i'm just a guy who's like at (laughs) home i'm a guy
1: looking at a movie (laughs) expecting you to say i love you
2: All right, my Twitter handle, I yeah. promise I'll try to start using Twitter more. It's at Frenchy Canuck, F-R-E-N-C-H-Y-C-A-N-U-C-K.
1: Okay, I'll put that in the show Good notes. Good luck, everyone. Good luck, everyone, getting, getting that. I'll put it in the show notes, guys, don't worry. And, okay. uh, and then the movie's going to be available theatrically in New York on the 7th?
2: On the 7th. Uh, it's going to be available digitally on October 11th, mm-hmm. and it'll have a one-week theatrical run maybe more if mm-hmm. everybody comes, who knows, mm-hmm. uh, October 14th in LA.
1: Okay, great. And then after that, and then probably in the next few months or something like that, it, you can find it on Netflix where it will live forever. Absolutely. And, ever absolutely.
2: And, ever. and, and, uh, and the documentary that, that, that the Duplass, you know, the, the doc that started it all, for yeah, us, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm very proud of as well.
1: And that's also, that's on, uh, on Netflix right now.
2: That'll, that's no, that'll be on Netflix. Uh soon. Right around right around when it hit when Blue Jay hits, uh Asperger's or should hit as well.
1: Fantastic. I'll put links to all that guys in the show notes. And then as you promised, Alex, what is uh this if you want to submit something to the Mark Duplass what is that uh what is that information?
2: Yeah, don't don't tweet at him or email him. Yeah, he prefers you just call him directly so you can pitch your ideas. And his phone number is eight one eight three two
1: Hello Alex. Alex, are are you there? Damn it! So close, so close to get Mark Dupless's number. I'm gonna have to see if I can get Alex back on the line. <laughs> Sorry if I teased you guys with that, but you know, technology. What are you gonna do? It just cut off, and I couldn't get him back on the line. You know, things suck that way sometimes. But anyway, man, I hope you really enjoyed that uh, that uh, interview with Alex. Um, not only does he have an amazing first name, but. Uh, but I know I really feel like he dropped a lot of great knowledge bombs and really got an inside view of not only how Mark works but how he worked on this project. and it's pretty fascinating. I really wanted to hear about more about his camera and what he was using, which seemed a little bit outside the box. and you know and I just wanted to kind of shine a light guys that you know just because it's a you know a movie that has big stars in it uh, and is on Netflix and getting a theatrical, you know it it's not that you know it's basically a movie. In a house, there's three people in the entire movie, and basically 99% of the movie is just two people talking and having conversations. And it's visually stimulating, and they have so much fun, and there's so much heart in the movie. And that's what I'm trying to say. You don't have to go so big, you know, you don't have to make it so complicated, you know, just get down to the core. Now, when you do that, you've got nowhere to hide. In other words, visual effects and action and spectacle will not hide a bad story. So it's a little bit braver to do what Mark and Alex were doing in uh, in Blue Jay, uh, and that's kind of like what we did with Meg. You know, uh, there is no world building, there is no big visual effects or action sequences or anything like that. It's the story, it's the performances, it's the characters. And uh, for better or worse, I put myself out there with Meg, and we'll see how the world takes her. But uh, but just guys, don't don't forget, you don't have to go so big. Just tell a good story. And if you tell a good story uh, and keep it simple, like I always say, kiss, keep it simple, stupid, you might be able to get through those hurdles of what you've been trying to do to try to get a feature film made uh, or get a project made or something shot. You know, just don't don't build it up so much in your head. And that's what I did, unfortunately, for almost two decades. Uh, but now I'm, I'm free and I'm making movies. And that's, that's all that's important, man. You're, you're creating art. So I hope you guys like that a lot. Please don't forget to head over to filmmakingpodcast.com and leave me a hopefully good review on iTunes. It really helps us out a lot. And of course, as always, keep that hustle going, keep that dream alive, and I'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast at indiefilmhustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.